Today we will look at Canto 27, in which St. Peter denounces the corrupt church, and Cantos 28 to 29, which are concerned with the primum, primum mobile. First of all, Canto 27. The rapturous joy of the souls in paradise expressed with a hymn of glory to the Most Holy Trinity. It opens the, the canto. Our dulled minds may have expected more words, more com concepts. Was it not the life known to Dante so full of beauty and revelations of the divinity? The poet turns to us as we think such thoughts and upbraids us for the dullness of intellect. Is not the whole commedia written in terza rima? Have we not yet understood that the whole creation is permeated through and through by the mystery of the Trinity? Nothing is accomplished in isolation, only in relationship, and the mystery of all relationships is the most holy Trinity. That is why we ascribe Trinitarian praise at the solemn moment preceding the consecration of the holy gifts at the liturgy and say time and time again the Trisagion prayers whenever we pray. In so doing we stand, as it were, with Isaiah in the temple and join in the song of the seraphim, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6, verse 3. If thou is a name of God demanding, demanding unconditional surrender, then how beautiful the I of the Lord incarnate. To address the Lord God as Father so that he is simply son, and nothing else than son, implies that when Jesus says I, he can only mean the I of the deity. The identity is complete. When we address God as our Father, Abba, then the I of the Son is evoked in us, and we dwell in the reality of the Spirit. In hell, the I is the hard-bound ego. In purgatory, the I is the struggle with the individuality and separateness or relationship. In paradise, the I of the saints echoes the I of the Father. And the I and the Thou of Paradise are the life of the Holy Spirit. To see the creation aright as a hymn rising to the glory of the Most Holy Trinity is to behold il riso dell'universo, the smile of all creation, 
Canto 27, lines 4 to 5. Such is true wealth past want. It is the intoxication of all the souls in heaven and a foretaste that we too may share in here and now by beholding the world aright. This, besides being Dante's vision, is Traherne's vision, the knowing that through our redemption we are heirs of the whole world, called to enjoy the creation aright. Our gratitude and ecstasy are the praise of a life fulfilled. Such a life knows ineffable joy and happiness and is filled with love and peace. These opening lines of the canto serve to contrast with the blush of shame that follows as St Peter returns to, con to condemn the corruption of the earthly church. His righteous anger is reserved for the totally unsympathetic, arrogant, abrasive, cruel Pope riddled with usury, Boniface VIII. He was the man who advised Celestine V on his abdication. He was the scourge of the Franciscan spirituals. He was Dante's bête noire, the most hated of popes. Condemned to the fiery wells in the Malibolgia of the Saint Simoniacs in hell. Such pontiffs, says Dante, turned St. Peter's grave at, grave at Rome into a sink of vice to gladden the heart of Lucifer. St. Peter recalls the early martyred popes. For what purpose would the church nourish by their blood when their successors seek but for gold and worldly power? They divide Christian people into sheep and goats, Guelphs and Ghibellines, and use the emblem of St. Peter's keys in battle against the baptised, or the saints' own effigy on seals promoting indulgences, decrees and bulls. The sack of Byzantium by the Venetians, of course, is a first-class example. The division of the papacy between Rome and Avignon was the fruit of such awfulness, resulting in such acts as the destruction of the Order of the Knights Templar. St. Peter commissions Dante on his return to daily life to speak boldly of all that he has heard and spoken of, of the papacy's corruption. Lines 65 and 66. Apri la bocca e non asconder quel che io non ascondo. Open your mouth and do not hide that which I do not hide, says St. Peter. Dante is now told by Beatrice to look down once more at the world far below. But his thoughts are preoccupied totally with her, and his eyes soon return to behold her. 
To truly behold our beloved is to behold stillness freed from the passions, to look down and to permit the fantasy of painted rows of images no longer holds Dante's attention. Who in his right mind would wish to descend at this stage of enlightenment down to the labyrinths of the anthill of the prince of this world? The poet turns at once to behold the mystery of the soul of wisdom. He sees the light of his beloved eyes, the light of the eyes once known in a little nine-year-old girl, now angelic in her presence. There is no dualism left for Dante, no attempting to have and to hold, no Faustian stay linger, you now, you are so fair. Beatrice is simply before him, here and now, and she is the opening to the eternal present. Thus duly prepared by his ascent, through looking at Beatrice aright, Dante beholds the heaven of the primum mobile. It is imperceptible to the senses, except in its motion, from which all the other heavens derive their movement. Time has its starting point here, in this, the ninth heaven, or the tenth, if the kingdom of the earthly paradise is counted. Time starts and ends in our beloved, for so profound is the true significance of our love. Time, rightly understood, can only, be, can only be the allotted time granted to discover and to know love. The beloved standing next to us veils the presence, and on entering into relationship with her and saying, Thou, we are in the presence. Clearly the commandment here in this heaven is, Thou shalt have no other gods. And to make a graven image and bow down and worship it is an anathema for Beatrice, who, has, who is seen and known in the heart. She is not carved in stone. She is certainly not trapped in a box producing photographs or the like. Commandment, I should have no gods, recalls the first known in the garden of earth innocence, thou shalt not covet. We can only covet if we have made an image unto ourselves which we wish to have, to possess, to take as our own. The Lord's teaching is emphatic. The kingdom is known in the mystery of childhood, the knowing of true innocence and faith. Of course the child wants its toys, but then as we grow up, as St Paul tells us, we put aside childish things. So-called adults, certified with an X, are children in the 
imperative sense those who have not grown, those who have cut themselves off from love. They have become twisted in upon themselves with their illusion, illusions of craven images that they wish to possess. Indeed, as with Lilith in George MacDonald's profound tale, they are unable to open their clutching hand. To stand before God as a child in the New Testament sense is to stand totally vulnerable and in faith, but knowing that the Father cares for his children. When the church militant forgets to do this, it is quickly caught by the lures of idolatry and falls into the grasp of covetousness. Such was the corruption of the papacy of Dante's times that when the judgment came, Europe would become divided into two, politically and culturally, Catholic and Protestant. Cantos 28 and 29, the Primum Mobile. Beatrice is the sole speaker in this heaven, the heaven of the angels. She is, in Donizetti's words, a donna angelicata, the heaven of the angels is her natural abode. Uh, just a little footnote, because I find such truth in Donizetti's letters and and the better aspects of his life. This is how Donizetti referred to his beloved Virginia after her death. He was unable to name her aloud. The appropriate letters, certain songs and concepts to be found in his operas indicate the depth which he was acquainted with the tradition of romantic love and had understood Dante's essential doctrine. Could only refer to his wife as an an angel. He couldn't mention her name. Otherwise, he would have broke down in tears and sobbing. The beloved, when she first manifests herself in our lives, assumes the role of an angel, for she announces the new life, the vita nuova, to her lover. The centres of the heart, the head, the heart and guts of the lover are fundamentally disturbed and cannot ever be the same again. The beginning of the Vita Nuova is very clear about this. The life of the lover may no longer return to its old ways unless it wishes to lose itself in the dark world of briars to ultimately plunge into their bliss. To fall in love with the beloved and her beauty has parallels with the incarnation, for it results in Christ stirring and having to be born in the heart. And in this, Beatrice and the ministry of the angels are complementary. They are 
they are at one in their work. Angels excel at announcing good news. It is their joy. The beloved caused the lover to stand in relationship. In this he may notice her hair, the colour of her dress, the complexion of her face, and so on. But these do not become objects in themselves, for they are sacramentals. They speak of her, they are her, they are the elements of the living icon standing before him. He can only address the beloved as thou. And what is thou but a name of God? He who would call all into relationship. The beauty of womanhood calls to man across the space that separates them. It alone can redeem his nature, which too easily may become caught up in the bufera infernal, the storm of Canto V of the Inferno, that sweeps the lustful through the void of unfulfilled adulterous relationships. The true masculinity in a man calls his beloved, calls to his beloved as to one seeking the promised land. The indulgent world represented by Egypt in the imagery of the church fathers has to be left behind. Exactly how his love brings his beloved's life to realization is in him, he will never know. It is akin to crossing the Red Sea, an exodus. It is the exodus known to lovers alone. On one side remains the distorted so-called loves of Egypt, and on the other begins the real and only possible journey, a journey that has to be eternal, just as the love that binds them is eternal. Their covenant is known through the eyes. They look into the thou of each other's eyes, and then on, as if on a ray, to the eternal thou. Alas, death will at some point separate them. The treasured voice will no longer be heard. The flow of the hair will be absent. The touch of the hands and breast gone. The heart will cry out. The face once radiant will be engraved with grief. However, only through standing grief-stricken, alone in the thou, known through love, the beloved's thou will also be standing as if in a nearby room, reaching out, holding as gently as the mother of God held her child. For what has been wrought through love, and hence created by the author of love, cannot be lost, simply carried up 
through eventual death into the life expectant of the resurrection's glory. The fiery souls of paradise yearn to be reunited with their bodies, the vehicles whereby love was known and incarnated into their hearts. Peace has been given to them. They will reach again towards each other and hold hands, touch and embrace and be united to all eternity. The only true economy that cannot fail is love. We have addressed God with many names, but providing we address him and our neighbour in true relationship, the thou, whatever our limitations, failings and illusions, gathers up all aspirations into relationship and grace, and grace is given. Through love and relating to the beloved, we are drawn into the ministry of the angelic intelligences. For to draw us ever closer to the true fire of love is their task. In this they watch over us and keep us as we stumble forward step by step. If we have known Beatrice, then we have also known the angels. We too have been called to the angelic life. It was the light of Beatrice, Beatrice's eyes that first held the young Dante's attention. He tells us that Spiritelli shone through them and entered his own eyes to send and to pierce his heart with love. He still, now high in the prima mobile, looks into her beautiful eyes. I quote um, 28 lines 11 and 12, where with love made the cord or rope to capture me. It's sort of a bit like um, William Blake's, um, you know, there is a thread that, if you can feel it, will lead you back to Jerusalem. Or in um, George MacDonald's wonderful stories for children, when Curdie and the princess are trapped in the, in the mine, in the underworld, they have to feel this mysterious thread that would lead them back to the light and to life. Dante is about to learn the deep secret of the eyes. They reflect the divine light. This is seen, or better known, as a point radiating so strong a light that the eyes must close or be blinded. Beatrice, the beloved, is therefore the mediator of this light, much like the moon shining in the night sky. For no man shall see God and live. We are like moths before the divine fire of love, 
We need our neighbour, our beloved, to reduce the light, capital L, to our own limited receptivity. As Dante beholds the punctum, the point of light, so he becomes aware of the orders of the angels circulating around it, upon which all nature is dependent. The nine orders recall the age when the lovers first met, for even then the qualitative significance of the number nine had already drawn the angelic orders to Beatrice, even the deep mystery of the Trinity. Three cubed is nine. All that we take for granted in this world is reversed in paradise. Here, in our world, the outermost circle would spin the fastest. There, in paradise, it is the innermost that resolves, revol revolves uh, the fastest. The order of the seraphim as they burn with light beholding the deity. Our world, as I've suggested before, is like a sock inside out. We are engaged in its externalities. What is the significance of the number of the genes that make up our mortality if we do not know how to relate to love? to embrace love. As Dante says, it's love that moves the heaven and stars, not genes. Where do we wish to abide? In Jean-Luc Godard's Alphaville or in the kingdom? Knowing the angels is the beginning of knowing God's divine providence. Dante is in the heaven where our free will and predestination are held by the spiritual order, quickening and sustaining all things through love. It is our free will to choose our loves, the direction of our love. Our love it's like the movements we set up on a chessboard. All manner of things will happen, some good, some bad, some gains, some losses. We are known as described in the 139th Psalm. The angelic intelligences hold us, would counsel us, guide us, protect us. But in Love, the will to conquer, to win, is a double-edged sword. Of course we wish for our beloved. We have to open our eyes to behold her. We have to extend our arms to embrace her. But we cannot dominate her, have her, possess her. We must know her, her needs, her ways. In this we may only relate to her in love and be open to love and to be ready to change through love. Of one thing we can be sure, 
we shall lose her. Yet we shall find her again. It may be like a game of hide and seek. She will make us travel from here to there to where God is. Or better, through our love for her, we will gradually know better the mystery of the Divine Presence. In order to wish to know the Beloved, we must be ready to make a long journey as Dante undertook. A very long journey of hells, purgatories and paradises. Dante emphatically tells us that this is a journey towards light that transfigures us and would ultimately, in the orthodox sense, deify us. For Dante, this is not something accomplished without our cooperation. That is the consent of our will. Our will has to be united with our heart. Indeed, it has to descend into our heart. Thus, we have to stand in the wholeness with which the Lord created us and relate to the world with our senses. We have to struggle with our dreams, our fantasies. We must work through our conscience, our moral organ of knowing, using to the full our capacity to reason, but at the same time to know that our intuition and truly imaginative faculties would look alone for God. And so the ministry of the angels and the consequent sanctification of the Holy Spirit, we shall gradually grow. St. John, in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 8, emphatically says that there are three things indispensable for our life in the truth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. That is our chrismation with the holy oil, signifying the fire from on high which burns away our dross, our baptism which washes away our sins, and the participation in the Eucharistic mysteries, that is, becoming members of the mystical body. The angels are all about us and with us in order to draw us into union with the Beloved, whose light radiates from the love that unites the Most Holy Trinity in perfect relationship, in one, capital O. They wish, that is the angels, to progressively draw us to the perfection of theosis. Clearly before we may be united, we have to be illumined. Dante's illumination began at the Garden of Earthly Innocence when he broke down in tears before Beatrice and knew the fullness of penitence. Tears are an integral part of on our behalf along the journey to regain love. No one may be illumined except through purification. 
In this it is fundamental that we perceive the true nature of the evil one, the prince of this world, in order to understand how to strive against his beguiling illusions. Then we, we all have to plod up the cornices of purification. The angels, as Dante has shown, are with us all the way. How could he ever have penetrated into understanding the lower ditches of hell if it had not been the ministry of an angel who had held, held the whole hellish horde in contempt and opened the gates of dis? In all this, it is God himself who is our guide through the ministry of the angelic worlds. The angelic hierarchy receives his stamp, and thus the angels are spotless mirrors, totally receptive to the, to the theatric light. Thus they become sources of illumination for others, willing to give their guidance in the task of purification, enlightenment and union. The light we see in the eyes of our beloved, stresses Dante, is the true light mirrored through their ministry. The celestial hierarchies are thus instantly caught up with the glory of transfiguration, the transhumanal through which we must pass if we are to understand the nature of the beloved and indeed our neighbours, who we must love as we love God himself. The hierarchies are the vehicle for all theophany, and therefore are held, as it were, in the arms of the Holy Spirit. At the baptism of Christ, the Holy Spirit is seen in angels hovering over the incarnate Lord, whilst the angels stand one side and humans on the other side of the River Jordan. The icon is teaching us that through Christ, angels and humans are related in a particular way. We wait to receive the Lord of Hosts. And the angels encourage us in this task. Revelation is like the light flowing out of the Godhead and irradiating the whole order of being, not so much on it but through it. The hierarchies mediate this knowledge and we receive it through their mystery of their intelligences within our own intellect, our nous, in Greek. We cannot stand still and indulge in this participation, but in response to the angelic worlds, we too must pass the light on to the material world, so that all becomes sacrament, wholeness, oneness, purified, enlightened, bound in union, true marriage of all things. If we fail to do this, 
disasters will overtake us. Not to know the created order as, sac as sacrament is to blind ourselves to the essential laws of nature. And judgment, the judgment, comes through our own blindness and follies. We are called to look up, just as Dante did. And then Beatrice moves towards us, sharing us with us beatitude, blessedness, the very beauty that fills the heavens. Beatrice, Dante is telling us, is the expression of the angelic hierarchies. Through grace, though grace, through grace, we are searched out and known through gentle, loving persuasion. She teaches us to love God before all things and to love all mankind in his love. Since there are fallen angels who have become fragmenting forces and en energies, the celestial's hierarchies are a community participating in the great task of salvation, aiding purification, enlightenment and union of love. The radiance known through Beatrice is true blessedness, free from all unlikeness or lack of perfection. The radiance is thus initiatory into the sacred. The perfection of all the hierarchies is no other than the Christ himself, at one with the creation that is his. This is the Christ known to St. John and shared in his gospel, the I who is the eternal thou. What of the celestial hierarchies? They too bear the stamp of the Trinity as they radiate the light down to us through the office of the Beloved, the Donna Angelicata. The nine orders are ternary in their work as they come to us. The seraphim ever behold the light and are therefore fire and carriers of the divine warmth, love, to the whole hierarchy. They are the reflection of the mysterious intelligence of the union that is both fire and light. The cherubim are the communicators of the fullness of knowledge and the overflowing of wisdom derived from the union of fire and light. Their work is to illuminate. Nothing approaches the thrones without purification and total humiliation and selflessness. St. Dionysius writes that they are, I quote, a transcendence over every earthly defect, as shown by their upward bearing towards the ultimate heights. They are forever separated from that which is inferior, 
they are utterly available to receive the divine visitation that they bear God and are ever open like servants to welcome God. And so in this their work is and so in this their work they are intimately linked to the mystery of the heart. Thus, in their roles of union, enlightenment and purification, the first ternary of the celestial hierarchies received the stamp of the Most Holy Trinity. Our hope is the Father, our refuge is the Son, our protection is the Holy Spirit, so goes an Orthodox prayer. Our hope is union, our refuge is enlightenment, our protection is purification. The second ternary of the celestial hierarchy is specifically related to mediating and handing on what has been received. The orders of dominions, powers and virtues are therefore intimately related to true education. The dominions elevate and enable freedom from matter as an end in itself. The powers help to order and regulate our true intellectual gifts and powers. And the virtues will give us unshakable virility. Effemacy, effeminacy, according to the Jewish and Christian wisdom, cuts us off from the kingdom and the glory. If we would but let them, these intelligences would preside over the order of our social life. They are to be recognised in true government, law and education. Where they are not allowed to preside, we have bad government, weak law and an educational system which is better recognised as a crime against humanity. The dominions, powers and virtues are in order to enlighten us. The third ternary within the hierarchy is related to our essential striving for purification. The order of principalities will turn us to the authority of the Prince of Peace, or from rulers to lovers should turn to them for aid. The archangels stand in the diversity of all our various nations. They protect nations in the time of trouble, just as our nation was protected in many an uncanny way during the ordeal of the last world war. It was a war that was a conflict between clearly satanic energies and the angelic intelligences that inspired many to die for the sake of enlightened values. Nations that do not acknowledge their angel, archangel, 
will fall into chaos and confusion and triviality. Lastly, the order of angels are our interpreters and certainly our guardians. They are ever beside us and where pointed to us at our baptism. The principalities, the archangels and angels would aid us to purify us at all levels of consciousness and conscience. They are friends of a particular intimacy. Of one thing, the angelic intelligences and the saints are acutely aware of, and this is that those who devote themselves to the pursuit of wisdom have no end to their labours. For God is infinite, and the journey is without end. The closer someone comes to that wisdom, the deeper he finds it to be. The more he would probe its depths, the more he recognises that he will never be able to understand it or even express it in words. At first the road leads us to an arrow gate where all our claptrap has to be jettisoned, but thereafter the road ever opens out until it stretches to infinity. In one sense, Martin Buber's image of a steep mountain ridge which becomes ever steeper and narrower makes matters plain. The next move may only be taken through faith. That is true. In another sense, the way ahead of us ever opens out stretching out to infinity, and this too is true. This is because, as Dante has shown us, all is reversed in the heavens. In this world, our theories of perspective speak of lines of vision meeting in a vanishing point somewhere out there, a point that may be calculated, like Leon Battista Alberti or Brunelleschi or Raphael did, a game of measured, dramatically controlled, pyramidical vision. In the spiritual life, all is reversed as in the art of icons. In the spiritual life, there are no lines of vision which open ever outwards. The so-called vanishing point in the spiritual life is within our own hearts. They are the arrow which pierces the heart through love. I've got a little footnote here, I might as well read it. The Renaissance, with its emphasis on perspective, changed Western consciousness. No longer content with what was naturally within and about one, the West fell like a root seeking nourishment out in the extension of time and space, forgetting the deep centre of the heart and its treasures of love and wisdom. Such was the confusion between the head and the heart that the Baroque and the Rococo had 
to invent space within churches that resembled a theatre. The steadfastness of the heart was lost for the psyche, for visions, distorted saints and disturbing representations of Christ. Where the heart is, so is a man's treasure. Modernity's treasure is the possession of time, which can only be shared, and space, which opens out onto and into endless labyrinths. William Blake understood that very, very deeply and profoundly. Canto 29 Beatrice, illumined and smiling, looks towards the infinitesimal point of light that cannot yet be beheld. As an image, the point is spaceless and indivisible, for it is the mystery of the glory, the Shekinah, the centre to which every where and when tends to find its answer. God is like a circle which has its centre everywhere and its circumference nowhere. So far the poem has dealt with circumferences through which the pilgrim's soul moves as he approaches the divine mystery. Now Beatrice looks to the point and sees reflected all Dante's desires as he contemplates the angels and the creation. Through beholding I am, I am in the sense of the divine name as revealed to Moses at the burning bush, through the beholding I am, I am, sorry, through beholding I am ever veiled by the transfiguring light, Beatrice sees the little I ams of her lover. In God and the wisdom that flows from him, we alone may find the answer to our questions. In God alone, the pilgrim has its origin and return. The creation is nothing more or less than the overflowing and opening up of the divine love in which we are called, as was Adam, to share in love and goodness, the way, the life, and the truth. Divine light penetrates the whole of the creation and is known to us in its reflected splendour. Here, now, we may know the Orient and immortal wheat that has stood from everlasting to everlasting. And as Traherne says in the second uh, series of centuries, and number 80, creation, I'm sorry, infinite love cannot be expressed in a finite room. The creation is not a closed box, just a system to be unraveled. The created order, rightly known, shines back the splendour of the created, creating light. And in this flowing outwards of light and returning reflected splendour, like a breathing out and a breathing in, the in 
angelic intelligence, intelligences are fundamental to the whole. For St. Augustine, when the Lord said, let there be light at the beginning of the creation story as told in Genesis, there is implied the creation of the angelic orders for the angels and the creation are intimately linked through the chain of hierarchy. They, the angels, he says in the City of God, book 11 and section 6, they, the angels, were created partakers of the eternal light, which is the unchangeable wisdom of God, by which all things were made, and whom we are called, and whom we call the only begotten Son of God. And what of the eternal I am? If we are to think he whom we address as thou, how are we to think of he who we address as thou? Beatrice draws on Dante's reading of Boethius. In the concept of God, there is no beginning or end, no before or after, for the divine nature is complete and entire, having a simultaneous perfection perfect possession of endless life. Our problem is that we project our spatial and chronological understanding onto the divine nature. It is enough to know God is and for that he is the God of love and to get on with our pilgrimage and not to ask for more than is useful to us. Dante would have agreed for fully with St. Augustine, as we have seen, that hell was created for the inquisitive. The angels form and matter, form and matter wed, were created instantaneously. They are intimately related and are one in operation. From a scholastic understanding, form is intellect. The incorporeal angelic intelligences are pure, but in humans the intellect is united with matter, there implying thereby the unseen warfare that is fought by the pilgrim. Hence we have the pure life of the intellect of the angels, the notion of pure matter, the materia prima or highly, the atomic flux capable of receiving substantial forms, earth, wood, metal, mineral, animal, and so on. Finally, the life of the union of form and matter, the angels, pure form, materia materia prima, pure matter, and the union of form and matter, man as the union of soul and body, all were created simultaneously. The angels, Dante tells us, are puro atto, pure act, 
a materia prima is pura potenza, pure potency. And we, humans, are potenza con atto, potency with act. Cristoforo Landino, the Renaissance commentator on the Divine Comedy, puts it this way. The angels are, as it were, at the summit, the Empyrean. Earth, at the lowest, is pure potentiality, that is, with the possibility of becoming. In between are the sphere of the angelic intelligences, energies, potentiality with act, both receptive and active, receptive to what is above, active to what is below. Pure act can choose the self, as did Lucifer. Potentiality with act chooses the dualism of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the ground of the divine comedy, for want of an expression. Free will is the gift God gives to angels and men. Pride is our undoing. An angel requires no delay of time for choice or exhortation or even consent as man does. That is emphasized by St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa in Theologica. An angel moves to whatever he is moved to according to the power of his nature. We humans have the grace of struggle, conflict, and that merit dwells in the receipt of grace, Canto 29, line 65. Concerning the gifts of understanding, memory and will, there is a difference between angels and men. Again, Cristoforo Landino helps us. Man pursuing discourse of reason is often confronted by something new and ill understood which interrupts the discourse. But to the angel, seeing everything in God, nothing can be new. Therefore there is no need to call back to the memory because of a divided thought. The angel does not understand by means of mental images which he abstracts from things as with man. The angel understands by images not drawn from images themselves but stamped by God on the angelic intellect creation. Also there is not in the angel that which is in God, in man, inasmuch as man wills the good through the discourse of reason, the angel in one instant. Thus, the angel has a more excellent will than man. Memory cannot be said to be in an angel, for memory is founded on a bodily organ. The angel sees all things present, whereas for us, memory of things past 
is a vital ingredient to our consciousness. The angel retains, man recalls. Thus to speak of understanding, memory and will in the angelic worlds is to evoke a far higher order than the corresponding powers in man. Excellent on all this theological discourse is Carroll in his um, book on Paradise in Patria, pages 456 and 458. Now we see the extent to which free will stands at the centre of the Commedium, together with the conundrum of predestination. Lucifer chose himself as the fairest. Man chose, to quote Dante, more than was useful to him, the knowledge of good and evil, on all the pain and suffering that his decision has brought upon, ma upon mankind. Who can fathom out good and evil? God alone, certainly not man, who needs the revelation of the law and the incarnation to save him. The knowledge of dualism, the good and evil, burns us with curiosity to the extent that they become blurred and our sense of discretion and judgment become by Lucifer's sin separated from the divine will as we fall more and more into the ice of egotism. Lines 82 to 87. On earth men dream. Therefore, while they are awake, some in good faith and some deceitfully, of guilt and shame, of greater share these take, ye on earth in your philosophy. Are not for long content to tread one path, enamoured of vain show and subtlety. Hence Dante's invective against false teachers, puffed up preachers who love to show off their ingenuity. Christ's commission to his church was to preach, Dante tells us, and to profess true doctrine. Alas, he says, dog collars and cow, cows swell with intellectual pride. The fallen intellect dissects, fragments, limits. The intellect's journey is one of epictasis, of endless fulfilment and journey towards the embrace of true love. Lines 136 to 145. The primal light, the whole irradiates and is received therein as many ways, as there are splendors with all it mates. Since then, affection awakes upon the gaze and its intensity diversely bright therein the sweets of love now glow now blaze consider well the breadth behold the height of his eternal goodness seeing that oh so many mirrors it does shed its light 
yet one abideth as it was before.